this is episode 238 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Dr. Nisha Riley. This podcast is on how sexuality controls us, and it's inspired by Gandhi. It's a podcast that I wish to record for a while, but I didn't know whether I could make a single episode explicit content. And I am sorry to the younger listeners, because I kind of pride myself on having a podcast that spans a huge listener age range. My podcast is listened to in all of the age categories, from youngest to oldest. And also, there's a gender freedom spectrum as well. And I try to consider that in all of the episodes I record. But because I'm probably going to end up swearing, I'm going to talk about difficult topics. I'm going to mention sex. And if I don't make this explicit content, I'm asking for someone to flag the whole podcast. So I first read Gandhi's work a number of years ago. I think it's probably about five or six years ago now. And I'll be honest, I thought he was a bit of an asshole. I really struggled. I really felt that he was a misogynist. And it's a word a lot of other people have used to me to describe him. However, going back to reading his work now, and not just reading his autobiography, but reading his actual writings, and looking at it in a different context, having spent a number of years single myself having set an intention that I couldn't compromise and even if I don't remember this sometimes the universe does and it kind of repels people from me it's quite funny and I kind of joke that if I wanted to compromise I would have stayed in the relationship I was in. So several years after kind of going through various spiritual experiences myself reading a lot of other people and immersing myself in different thinking I sort of go back to his work with a slightly different context. But there's still aspects that I struggle with. I struggle with his focus around education. I struggle with the fact that he banished his own wife out of their home back to her father because she couldn't learn to read and write. I struggle with the focus he had for education for his own children and his nieces and nephews. I struggled with the fact that... He essentially lived in South Africa for most of his early marriage and came back yearly, at which point his wife would conceive another child and he wouldn't be there to help raise the child. I struggled with the fact that he fell out with one of his sons because he wouldn't become vegetarian. And I'm assuming that that's the son that didn't attend his funeral. So there are many aspects where he seems so single-minded in his approach, that it was quite difficult for the people in his environment to meet his ideals. And I think that that's something that you need to be very careful of. If you are trying to strive forward with new thinking, you have to be very careful to not alienate those around you in what you expect from them and the sort of perfection and the sort of ideals that you expect. But then I also look at it differently now because... He was in a child marriage from the age of 13, one he didn't have a whole lot of choice in. He was sent off at a very young age to be educated in London, which must have been incredibly daunting. He really put himself and immersed himself into the idea of education, the white supremacy of education, giving you a place in society and a voice and a standard of being, which he then had to reflect on the that that wasn't the case, especially when he went to South Africa, even as a young lawyer, 
and was thrown off the train for sitting in first class, even as a highly educated individual, having spent time in London. So there's a part of us where by a modern way of thinking and living and modern choices to people in an older time frame. And we sometimes have to reflect on that and we have to reflect on where they were coming from. And I guess the point where I completely checked out of the conversation with him was around the concept, Brahmashara. I'm probably going to struggle to say that, but I am going to include a quote on this from the Sadhguru, and I'll put it into the podcast details. But what I also have to reflect on with this is that when I go back and I retrospectively read Gandhi's own words and listen to his autobiography and those portions again, that that was his burden. And I have had this conversation with a number of Indian and Pakistani students over the years myself about what is expected from them as men when they get married and the level of responsibility that they hold for their wives and what's expected for them to rise up and meet. And I'm not sure from a Western context that we always understand that. For Gandhi, it was his marriage and his sexuality with his wife was his burden. And he felt that it got in the way of his true purpose and his true calling. And I think Sadhguru puts this slightly better and he's slightly less all or nothing about it. And what he says is to become a Brahmachari means you are in ecstasy by your own nature. You can be married and still be in a Brahmachari. It is possible because you are joyful by your own nature. You are not trying to extract joy from your husband or wife. This is how it should be. The whole world should be in Brahmachari. Everyone should be joyful by their own nature. If two people come together, it should be about sharing of joy, not extracting joy from each other. And I guess my focus is always on growth and development. And I've also been inspired recently and started to think about this because I reread The Witch of Portobello by what I, what the dude I call him the alchemist dude because I never say his name properly. And he includes an interesting concept in that. He talks about the virgin, and, and this isn't a sexual virgin, is the one whose search springs from her complete independence. Everything she learns is in the fruit of her ability to face challenges alone. The martyr finds her way to self-knowledge through pain, surrender and suffering. The saint finds her true reason for living in unconditional love and her ability without asking for anything in return. And finally, the witch justifies her existence by going in search of complete and limitless pleasure. And again, we'll include that that caption in the description. But the combination of those three things has got me thinking about the fact that for me, first of all, at this stage of my life, I need to be able to share my life and my space with people who can energetically be in a relationship with me. The world is incredibly draining and there's a lot in my work and there's a lot of depth I wish to plug into. So for me, there has to be a balance in that, being in a relationship. But I don't really agree with the idea of where various spiritual teachers feel they have to be completely celibate because they feel that they're not experiencing life, especially when they're younger. They're not experiencing a whole range of relationships and interactions. 
And it often comes from a place of control. And many of Gandhi's writings come from a place of control and abstinence, whereas Seguru's don't. In Ireland, that control and absence has led to the evils of child abuse, which, frankly, I feel we've exported out throughout the world. Many of the things that have happened, especially in America, have been driven by Irish priests. And I think there's a whole exploration going on in Ireland at the moment with the mother and baby homes and with a lot of the questioning of institutions that is going to start to peel back much of that suffering and ask people to actually own parts of that again and really look at it and they won't be able to pretend that they didn't know what was happening, which will be a huge part of our healing here. So an all or nothing approach doesn't work, but I'm also fully aware that I work with adult men and women clients very differently. And much of the time I think about this in terms of feminine and masculine energy balance, not even in terms of gender for the limitations of that. But in a very crude way, I basically end up encouraging the masculine to be less selfish, less ego-driven, less self-absorbed in their actions. And I end up encouraging the feminine to be less self-serving, less sacrificial, less putting themselves last, and to have the possibility and the right to fulfill their own visions and dreams. It's extraordinary what our society has superimposed on the roles of masculine and feminine. And a big part of our conversation about gender is about peeling away those expectations and those limitations of those roles. But very few relationships revolve around being a team or a partnership or parenthood opposed to motherhood. And many of them do revolve around the needs of sexuality, which we allow to control us in this mix. And in the same way as this felt like a burden for Gandhi, it is a burden for many people in relationships, but not in the way that he looked at it in terms of it being just a sort of a lossful distraction, but in terms of it particularly dictating women's lives in what they feel that they can still dream and still move forward to and still feel supported in. It's extraordinary for me how many women give up their dreams in order to be in a relationship and how many roles they play within that. And we often tarnish the possibility of deep connections and support that is available to us in many other ways by by projecting sexuality onto it as well. And so we've gone away from the concepts of women being in very supportive groups in order to help them to achieve and to have their dreams. Women have kind of been forced into this role of being more independent. And going back to the alchemist dudes, yes, there is, I know this from first-hand experience, that there's a great deal of creativity and a great deal of self-exploration to be found in independence. But I also know that there is a great deal of support to be found in a team and in partnerships and in having a tribe. And so it's about balance of those. And we don't often look for the balance of those when we bring sexuality into the mix and we bring that element of control into a relationship and we bring the elements of roles into it 
and we bring the element of having children and who's giving up on what in order to facilitate that. And similarly, I know many people who've been afraid to explore sexuality in their lives. And by doing that, there is a different type of control and a different type of constraint that happens in their life and a different sense of not embracing whole aspects of intimacy and closeness and support and openness and honesty is suppressing a huge part of yourself in not exploring that. So there are many ways in which we allow sexuality to control our lives. I do joke that I need to meet a unicorn because they're the only people who see where I'm motivated from. Everybody else is so busy superimposing their own sense of where I should be working from. And someone suggested that I set up some sort of a new age dating site, one that's based on growth. But it would seriously question the idea of the Hollywood Bridget Jones happily ever after scenario. Because for me, I always say that it only has to be right for this step. It only has to be right for now. With the hope that you will continue on to many more steps together as a team and continue to grow. That both people will allow each other to grow. So it's not about extracting needs from each other or about holding yourself back. And in that aspect, I do see where both Gandhi and Sadhguru are coming from. But I think that it's not a path that everybody has to be on. I do think it's possible to have very fulfilled relationships. But I often find that it's women who really suffer in the lack of balance and the ones that aren't functioning.